Piccolo, and welcome to a special episode of the Sports Travel Podcast. This is Matt Traub, Managing Editor of Sports Travel, and our episode today is recording from one of our sessions at the recent eSports Travel Summit in Toronto that focused on the grassroots eSports industry. But before we begin, first a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 23 will be held in the Palm Beaches of Florida from October 2nd through the 5th, 2023. The conference will again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything planned at Teams, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the episode. The Esports Travel Summit is the world's largest gathering of esports tournament and video game event organizers and the only event focused on the travel side of the esports industry. Presented by Sports Travel, the 2023 Esports Travel Summit was held July 12th through the 14th, hosted by Destination Toronto. One of the major programming sessions at the event was on the grassroots esports. Recognizing the important work being done at the grassroots level may be even more crucial to a destination's success in building an esports ecosystem of its own. In this session, attendees were able to hear from the experiences and advice from a panel of experts that included Katie Briggs, president at Landfest, Melissa Burns, founder and chair of Esports Canada, and Gerald Solomon, executive director of the NASEF. Your moderator for the discussion was myself, Matt Traub. To understand this esports ecosystem, it's as important to understand what's going on at the base as it is at the top. And while professional esports has gathered understandable attention over the past couple years, recognizing the important work done on the grassroots level, it may be even more crucial for destinations who are looking to bring in more business. So, Katie, I'm going to start with you, but then I'll go around our panel to, to kind of spur our discussion here. What is the big picture state of grassroots esports, and what has the past year been like? I'd love to talk about that because I was actually on Twitter the other day and somebody was talking about the winter of esports and somebody made a great comment that there really isn't a winter in the grassroots scene. In the grassroots scenes, you all have gamers in your organ in your in your cities. They are there and they are they're gaming together. And so over the last year, what we've really seen is we have increased interest. Our events have been continuing to increase in attendance because Gamers are people, they want to come together, they want to play, they want to be together, they want to be in the same space. And so I was also laughing at the data that said that there's a decline in the interest. We've actually seen the exact opposite where people want to come together and game and play. Melissa, for Esport Canada, what are some of the things that you've been saying on this side, on this side of the border? I think that there's been a really big appetite for grassroots gaming, especially since the year of the mask. It's been interesting to see how the community organizations have really taken that and really owned the space. And one thing I really love about watching grassroots gaming is how they each of the communities really takes on its own identity and it really does serve the community and it evolves with the community as the people ebb and flow from that. And so we've seen a lot of success over the past year with large events in uh, notably in Edmonton with the Edmonton Esports Expo. Uh, in Manitoba we just recently had a summer showcase and different events throughout the country that have been really really outstanding to see and also the energy and attra attraction that we're seeing for more of these kinds of events going forward. And so we're able to now harness the success of those kinds of events and show it as a proof of concept 
for other provinces to replicate. And then, Gerald, with what you've been seeing it with the USEF and now with the NAS. EF is obviously being in, having your hand in a lot of different levels. How has the grassroots level been the past for past year in your estimation? Yeah, so sometimes I wonder why I'm on panels like this because I'm kind of like a unicorn in this conversation a little bit in that we're an education program. We don't showcase ourselves as an esports program, although now we have and manage the United States Esports Federation, which is the competition arm but what we really are is a global nonprofit that is the voice of parents and the voice of children. And what we see is very different. Our perspective and our conversations, and we have clubs in over 3,800 schools and we work in 32 countries around the world, is what is eSports and what does it do for my child? What's the value proposition? What's the benefit? What am I gonna gain? What's my child gonna gain? What's the college and career opportunities? That's our work, that's what we focus on. So we do the research, we do the career pathway development, we do the curriculum pathway development, and what we're finding is a lot more scrutiny from administrators at schools, ministers of education, parents in particular, who say, you know, all I think about is my kid at 11 o'clock at night eating Cheetos and drinking Red Bull. And how am I gonna go ahead and change that? And our responsibility is, you know, if you do this right and you build a curriculum and a program like we have around it, there really are these pathways. So we're seeing increased conversation, increased scrutiny, and increased accountability that really is a value add to what the field of esports is really all about. And, you know, going further is, you know, the difference between grassroots esports and pro esports is there's so many differences, but what are the ones that stand out to each of you? So just to give context of where Landfest sets, they're, they're, um, I always do our little triangle, and at the top there's um, pros, and then there's the collegiate and high school. At the bottom of that triangle, you find the YMCA, the beer league, the community, the casual gamer, and that's where Landfest sets. So for us, a hallmark of that, uh, we have the folks coming to our event as families, playing together as families, going those pathways that Daryl's talking about, and then when they are done, they come back and they game together again because games unite people. And so that's one of the things that I think is a little bit different is our games can be um, a bit competitive, but we, we definitely have casual gaming as well. So some of the hallmarks of our events and what we see and what we do in casual gaming is, you know, we have board games, we have VR, we have mobile, we have console, we have PC gaming. So it's a very robust, it's not esports per se, it's gaming and gaming culture overall. Let me kind of draw a picture and I think it'll help you understand the kind of ecosystem that we talk about because we all play roles in it and we all have the same thing in mind, which is how do we help students thrive and grow and be the best they, they, they can be. In our programs around the world, when you see kids play, that's the magnet, that's what attracts them. But really part of what makes us unique, I think, is in every competition that we have, the students have to demonstrate the artifacts of their learning. So they have to showcase around the arenas the website that they built, the social media work they've done, the data analytics in an Excel spreadsheet on how they've taken down data from a League of Legends game and how they're learning from that, how they put together the event and what platform have they used and why did they choose to do that. All of those types of things, so when a parent or an educator comes in, they actually see those artifacts. And it's not just gameplay, but it's really the ability to take and use what they enjoy most, what we call immersive experiential learning. We all know it, we see it in 
you know, Maker, we see it in, in, robo in um, robotics, we see it in a lot of different types of activities. Kids learn when they have fun. Kids learn when they're immersed into something. So if you allow them the opportunity to experience the game and the play and the fun, and also learn through that, then that's what becomes important and what adds value, I think, to eSports, which is unique as a sport compared to any other sport. And if I can add on to that, I think something that I've noticed working in multiple different areas through eSport Canada is that a lot of times our grassroots communities are maybe not seen for the full value that they bring and the impact that they can have, especially on larger tournament organizers and the event managers, because what is unique about these grassroots communities is you have these people that are coming because they love the game, but they stay because they love the people and they fall in love with the community that's there. By building that community and building that sense of belonging, all of a sudden you now have people who are invested in a community that loves a game. And so then it has that in, in turn effect where now they're wanting to invest time and money into the game because they can now have that shared interest outside of just playing with the community to now spectate at the pro level. And that's where you find those really intense fan bases that can be really beneficial to the sustainability and longevity of the pro scene. You know, we've been talking about the importance, obviously, like, like we said, the title of this session is about the, why grassroots esports is so essential. So what is the essential, you know, what is the essential value that grassroots esports brings to destinations? Oh, I, I think it is huge because what we're doing is we are building the field. If you only start at the university level or at the pro level, as in any other sport, it's a very, very, very minute number of people who are competitive who can go after the big prizes. What we're doing is we're exposing an entire community, wherever it may be, rural, urban, irrespective of ethnicity, color, geography, whatever it may be, the opportunity, as you've heard people say before, build community, build culture, and build this grassroots engagement and appreciation and respect, not just for the student who plays, but we're the family, we're the sibling, we're the cousins, we're the districts, where the government can get behind and say, you know what, this adds value to our community. It adds economic value. We're able to provide opportunities for students to pursue their educational careers, their career pathways, et cetera. So what this does for event coordinators and destination facilities, it allows you to be broader than just an activity. It allows you to tap into a wide array of different interests and different opportunities where the community as a whole can get behind it and not just a small, minute group of people. And I think that there's a lot to be done, a lot of work that needs to be done in market research in how to best tap into and utilize these community groups and these grassroots movements because something that we're seeing from the data that's coming out is specifically here to Canada. There was a study that came out by the Entertainment Software Association of Canada in November last year and it showed that students between the ages of 7 and 17, 89% of them are gaming. So that's not a small number and you have to realize that they're all gaming for different reasons mm -hmm but they're all gaming. And so if you can start to recognize why they're gaming and tap into those different niche markets, there's so much possibility and potential to really engage large portions of the population, but it's about understanding the gamer to be able to attract them to those bigger events. If I can add to that, if I may, part of is I shared with you kind of the visual of how students show the artifacts of their learning. 
One of the things that destination facilities can do is use it as a recruitment activity. Use it as a recruitment not only for college, but also for workforce. What a great opportunity to tap into multiple disciplines. I'll give you an example of why I say that. I worked for um, a family foundation for 14 years, a very large tech company called Broadcom. Through that entity, and I was their global uh, director of philanthropy, we would spend literally millions of dollars at MIT, at UCLA, at Tel Aviv University, at other places to build pathways for kids so that the colleges could get the, the best people and that entities like Boeing and Northrop and Grauman and Intel could find the best employees. What eSports allows because of the technology component of what it is and the social emotional learning skills that are developed, it allows for a great opportunity for colleges and workforce, ultimate employers, to be able to actually see how do these students perform? What have they learned through eSports? What have they created? How do they interact? How do they lead? How do they work as a team? Those are all skills and components that oftentimes are very hard to assess by colleges or by workforce. So there's really an opportunity to look at this beyond just the competition, but really in a very holistic ecosystem approach. In our events, those, those executives that are at Microsoft and at Intel, they actually come to our events as, it's like the golf of the, of the tech space. They come to relax and to game, and so we have a lot of opportunities in what, what we do at LandFest. We have opportunities where, uh, a great example, my number three kiddo was studying computer science in um, college, and my Colorado chapter admin was already asking me, hey, when is he done? I want to hire him. And, and Adam, who's my Colorado um, admin, happened to be an executive at GitHub. right? And so there's a lot of opportunities at the grassroots to not only um, mentor for different skill sets, but to, to build relationships with people in the space, whether and not necessarily in the esports space. We have folks um, that come through the community space that they play video games because they do healthcare. They're you know leaders in healthcare, um, Amazon, um, Intel, Microsoft, all over the country. All of these people want to come and they want to relax. And they don't necessarily fit the normal stereotype of a traditional sports. Like a lot of the people who come to, to our events, we're not going to see them on the basketball court. Um, you're going to see them coming and they're going to see them playing golf with friends. We're going to be doing a Magic the Gathering draft. We're going to be doing all of these different, we're going to be playing um, Akron, Attack of the Squirrels, right? All these different types of video games that bring people together and allow those younger people in our society to connect in a way that is meaningful and organic and authentic that they wouldn't have any place else. We have our first question of the day. Gentleman here to my left. Hi guys, uh, thank you. My name is Wyatt, I'm from the Amateur Esports Association. I think uh, one thing that's a staple of grassroots in the traditional sports area is uh, the, the idea of a, a soccer mom or a basketball dad, those people that can come forward and say, my child is really excited about this thing. And with traditional sports, there's a, a, a relative enough understanding that parents may feel comfortable with that, but I don't know, and I've seen it, I've seen the esports parents, but I don't think that there's that full potential. So I'd just love to hear your guys' take on esports parents and then maybe some <laughs> insight on what you guys think that organizations at the grassroots level could be doing to encourage that parent participation. I, I think that's a great question. First, there are organizations like COPE, uh, COPE, which are organizations for parents who have kids who play esports. So I would encourage people to learn and talk and be part of that kind of thing. 
But part of what we've learned in our work, literally in 32 countries around the world, is the first step is not to engage the student and set up the club. The first stages that have to be done are to talk to the school administrators and talk to the parents. We actually have an entire template and structure on how do you hold a parent evening or a parent night or a parent day and sit down and talk and share with them that this is more than just hitting a ball with a baseball bat or using a hockey stick and hitting a puck. It really is about an opportunity for career development and pathway opportunities. And part of what makes it so special in esports is there really now is very good research and very good data around why this is of value in the appropriate setting with the appropriate safeguards that this can be and enhance the opportunities for the child. I mean, one of the things, for example, we did was when I was with the foundation, we gave a grant to the University of California, four years of study. They assessed 3,700 students, 1,700 teachers over four years. The results were presented at Davos. They're, it's all published, it's all in white paper, and it shows a nexus between an appropriate type of structured environment for learning and play and career development, social-emotional learning skill development, and STEM education attribute characteristic development. So it's really critical, and I'm glad you raised it. You've got to realize who are your, who's your audience. Students are natural, but the real audience for us is the parents and the school administrators. And how do you get to them? You get to them with data, with information, with research, things that they can appreciate and understand that bring value to, oh wow, my child could become an engineer, or my child could become a doctor because of the dexterity of what it is to be able to play certain games and titles that he now can demonstrate his capacity to engage in certain other workforce activities. I think that question actually brought up something really interesting that we've noticed here specifically in the Canadian market where um, we're seeing lots of examples of pro gamers and pro, pro leagues and we're seeing high end like the, the challenger series and all that and we see like the grassroots but that, and, and we also have the school-based system, but that piece that's missing that you kind of tapped into is that gap in the system right now where we don't have that sort of like U18 and U15 where the parent goes and signs their kid up to play. And that piece is not there yet. I'm gonna be very specific, yet. Because while I've noticed that students are doing a great job, like the ones that have the eSports parents already and know what they're doing, they know that they can actually get there independently. They don't need to have that infrastructure in place because they can be playing in the clash tournaments, they can be playing in all of those things and developing to the highest levels. And we've seen it in Fortnite, we've seen it in Rocket League, and we've seen these kids become pros and they can do that on their own. But the reason that that piece is still important to the infrastructure and the sustainability of it all is because it brings tangible legitimacy to the parents who don't get it yet. Because they have the opportunity then to sign their kid up for something and they feel like they can actually like show up. And they're willing to pay for that. Because I mean, if anybody here is a hockey parent, like Canadian, right? Mm -hmm. um, they wanna be on, like they love being the hockey parent. They love being the baseball parent. And parents will love cheering their kids on in esports too, but we have to have that opportunity for them to do that. And so I think that there's an entire market completely untapped that is just waiting to be unlocked by that. So I'm really glad you brought that up. 
And I'm actually one of those parents. Um, I, I, I always tell folks that, and I'm gonna use a word, I hope it's not offensive, I married a nerd, I raised four nerdlings, and I'm nerd adjacent. Um, so I do a lot of education to parents. My background is in education, um, as well as healthcare, um, with 10 years in education and then 20 years in the healthcare industry. So for me as a parent, I was extremely concerned about are my children going to have, be the stereotypical living with me when they're 30 in the basement, <laughs> wait, all those things. So I spent a lot of time doing research around how can I help my children be healthy? How can I be engaged with them in, these, in, in this passion that they have? How can I have them connect with their father as well? That was a, you know, for me that was important because this was valuable in his life. So I spent a lot of time researching that, attending many conferences around that and figuring out how I can do that. And we had moderation you know, we had moderation. If we spent the weekend at PAX, then they were off screens for the entire week. You know, we slowly started introducing different things, allowing different types of games. The thing is that this was no different than how I was involved in their wrestling careers, in their football careers, in their track careers. It's, it's the same idea as traditional sports. When you're involved with your children's life, then you're going to be able to see the difference. And I can I can proudly say I have three college graduates and I have a fourth one in college. I also have two neurodivergent children. And so the really great thing about gaming that was different than traditional sports is it was a safe place for my children on the, on the spectrum. They were not judged, they were not bullied, they were not treated unfairly. So I also let people know that there is space for children that don't fit in the traditional sports arena in the gaming space. I have a follow-up question here from the, from the audience. First off, uh, my name is Eris Whitaker. I forgot to mention myself earlier, but I'm responsible for some of the grassroots scenes over in Orlando, Florida. One of the things that I've learned over the nearly decade of being able to do grassroots events is sustainability. One of the major topics that I wanted to bring up was we're working on bridging the gap between education and esports. How do we keep scenes that don't have that um, support from the education system, whether it's like land centers, um, entertainment, uh, even uh, places uh, like little uh, hubs here and there, card shops. How do we keep them sustainable? Because every, everybody knows it's easy to have the idea to start, a, uh, to start up a scene. The thing is, though, how do we maintain it? How do we make them sustainable? I love that question. And it's something that we learned in the evolution of our organization and that is when we build a NACEF eSports club, they have to go ahead and build a community. They have to build, in essence, a business. They have to create a business plan. They have to create a development plan. They have to set up a committee structure. When you start to create and have them think about the kinds of things you're talking about, they are really innovative. Kids are not only resilient, but they're really innovative and creative. If you empower them and say, look, what do you want to be and what do you want to look like and what's the legacy you want to leave after a year or two of the club because you're going to move on to high school or college or wherever it may be? And you say, build out what that's going to look like because that's going to be what you're going to be able to showcase to the college you apply for, to the job that you apply for, whatever it may be. So incorporate in, and I can't speak for land centers and for-profit entities. I can only speak for clubs and schools, which is where we're at. They build out their business plans. And as part of it, when they say, do we do a bake sale? 
it, because we want more peripherals or we want different types of equipment? Do we go ahead and do we go out to the community and do an online GoFundMe page? Do we go ahead and look at the baseball diamond and you see all of the placards out there where the plumber paid 100 bucks and the electrician paid $50, et cetera, et cetera, to help buy the uniforms for the baseball team or the football team or whatever it may be? Talk about the value proposition. Again, it enhances the club. It enhances the field of esports, and it provides for these kids an opportunity to gain and acquire skills that ultimately leave the legacy and the opportunity for exactly what you're talking about, which is the sustainability and the growth of the program within an academic or school environment. So I'm going to build on that and borrow on two very opposing kind of areas, ideas from both, uh, one from business and one from education. So from business, I think part of that sustainability model is considering the concept of that third place. They have that idea where you have your home, you have your work, but you have that third place that you want to go to. And that's the premise of what Starbucks was built on and founded on, and they wanted to be that third place that people could go and hang out and be and exist. And so if you approach building your grassroots community with that in mind, looking at who is showing up and how do we build a place where they want to continue coming is really, really important to creating something that's sustainable because just with anything else in life, you're going to have ebb and flow in terms of who actually shows up. But when we look at like beer league hockey and adult co-ed rec volleyball, they're around and they're thriving and it's because that is their third place. They've taken that common interest and they've made a, a place where people feel safe, they have fun, they're enjoying it, there's an environment that they like, there's different levels of competition. And then from the education side of things, I would say really look at the concept of relationships being foundational. I think that really is the secret sauce when it comes to anything grassroots is the people and building relationships and going somewhere where you know that they know who you are. And like when you walk in a room and people light up, they're like, oh my gosh, you're here. And it's such a good feeling. And that relationship is the really important part. And that's, I think, really where the key to sustainability comes from. Yeah, and I'm not going to lie in the grassroots scene. Um, we've been around for 21 years, and in those 21 years, it is hard to be sustainable. And it's, hard, it's been hard to be financially viable as an organization because you depend on a lot of different things. When you have sponsors who come in and say, we're going to sponsor you for X amount of money, and then their marketing budget changes next year and they withdraw that money, you, you're kind of scrambling and saying, how am I going to help these, you know, help these events continue? The one thing that the seed, the kernel of truth that um, Melissa kind of talked about a little bit, it's the people. People are passionate. They want to play together. They want a game together. They want to be together. And so that's the sustainability. And then you just start to find partnerships and you start to find ways to work around all of those barriers and all of those blocks that come up, up towards you. And so when, when I, I'm the newer president, in 21 years I've been the president for the last four years, and in the last four years, I've been able to really say, okay, well, that was a barrier. How do we get around it? And when somebody's passionate about something and they care about, they care about it, they're going to find a way around that barrier. <laughs> so sustainability, it's about being flexible. It's about being willing to make partnerships. It's about growing together and, and learning from one another and continuing to persevere throughout it. I, I think in one of the, one of the talks, um, they talked about grit 
It's about having grit and saying, I care about this so much that I'm gonna work on it. We're gonna make it work overall. When we talk about traditional sports, the grassroots level, uh, one of the things that those traditional leagues kind of talk about is the grassroots level is very authentic. Mm -hmm. So how, what is the importance, you mentioned, the, the importance for authenticity on the grassroots esports level, whether it be not just organizations, but also the destinations that are hosting your events and making sure that those attendees have a very authentic experience rather than being much more a corporatized experience. Yeah, I use authenticity a lot at LandFest because I have 20 chapters in 15 different states, and I can tell you what, they're all different. And they're all gonna say, well, we're nothing like the Dallas chapter. It's, it's the Buffalo chapter, it's nothing like the Dallas chapter. And they aren't. They all have different um, identities, and they're proud of that. You know, in Dallas, their AFK game is a hard drive hockey. In Dallas, they have a llama as a mascot. So they all have different authenticity. But the thing that unites them is the games. They all love to play. Whether they love to play CSGO, whether they love to play Quake, whether they love to play Team Fortress 2, they all have the different games, but they all love to game. And so a lot of times, trying to explain to destinations that I've had sponsors and destinations say, well, show me how it's going to be. What is it going to look like? And I always have to say it depends. It depends because the group that lives in Orlando and plays in Orlando is different than the group that plays in Buffalo, that plays in Seattle, that plays in Austin, Texas. They're all different and they're still gamers. And so authenticity is extremely important. They're gonna come up with ideas that are unique and it's going to reflect your community as well. It's going to be unique to your city. So I'm gonna switch hats for a second. I've been talking about our work in NASAF, the education work. Let me put on the hat that's the competitive hat called the United States Esports Federation, which is a vertical within our nonprofit entity. And when you talk about authenticity, I think what you say resonates very clearly. But I would enhance that, again, adding a little bit or sprinkling in a little bit of authenticity from the perspective of the individual himself, herself, who's both the player and the non-player, i.e. fan or supporter. So when you talk about authenticity, think about how can you allow for and provide for the opportunity for the individuals not only to compete and play, which is what we're doing through USCF into the World Championships, but we want the streaming and the shoutcasting and the event management and all of the ecosystem of sundry skills and activities that are critical for the actual competition to occur to be done by students and to be done by individuals who can then use that and say, I love esports, I'm a fan. I may not be the best CSGO player, or I may not be the best PUBG player that's competitive, but I love it enough to be able to be supportive of it and be a fan and also be able to participate and contribute to the success of the event itself. When you as a parent, or you as an educator, or you as a government official come in and see a championship, or a quarterfinals, whatever it may be, and you're able to see all the student activities, from the competition and the enthusiasm that's there to the same kind of competition and enthusiasm around the individuals who are putting on the program, who are managing all the back end. I mean, look at the cameramen, look at the audio people, look at the people who put on the events here. These are all opportunities that could be showcased as part of that. So when you talk about authenticity from our perspective, it's the entire ecosystem on display. 
Yeah, and I think something that uh, taking it into the education space that I've noticed is making sure that you're listening to the students about what kinds of games they actually want to play. And the reason I bring this up in this space uh, particularly is because we are seeing a, an increased demand for in-person school-based events. And so there are going to be opportunities where destinations can host regional events and national events for schools and those schools come with like large contingencies of people that are supporting them and excited to be there with them. But for those kinds of events to be successful, you have to know not just does it check my boxes of accessibility and equitability and is it game, is the age rating appropriate and X, Y, Z, but also listening to what games are the kids actually playing? Because I've seen a number of times where even folks within my own community in Manitoba have tried doing seasons with games that they're like, this checks all the boxes, but the kids didn't play it. And so there was no buy-in. And so then the game ends up being a flop. And so we noticed that even with trends and how we try to choose games for regional and nationals, knowing like, for example, with FPS in high schools, if you're in more of the central and eastern parts of the country, Valorant is really, really popular as the FPS title in high schools, but you get into BC and they love Overwatch. That's also showing you a connection to the culture and to um, the pro scene because we have the uh, Vancouver Titans is the Overwatch team, the pro Overwatch team in Vancouver. And so we can see that reflected in the games that are more popular to the students in that area. How do, in what ways do you think the grassroots level can be a model for the rest of the industry? Wow, so I, I think I'm a broken record here. <laughs> think about it from the perspective of more than just the actual competition. Um, think about it in that holistic ecosystem approach. Think about it, how can it enhance the health and welfare of the individual, the family, and the community as a whole? There are so many opportunities that if you just put yourself in a very myopic kind of mindset, then you're just gonna go down that very narrow pathway. And especially as destination providers and event managers and people who you know, occupy seats in this room, the opportunity is much broader than just the competition itself. There really is a huge opportunity to have significant community impact, to have economic impact, not only for the event itself, but imagine what it's like over a period of time when you're able to go ahead and not only be able to say we're creating people who are going to contribute to our community, but these are people as we build this out at the middle school or high school level, it's done then at the college level, and then imagine what a professional kind of activity and engagement would look like, and how what we are trying to develop is something that could be emulated and be something that really can resonate across multiple kinds of industries, opportunities, and thoughts. Investing and supporting grassroots communities is going to be a key piece of sustainability for the pro leagues. Um, I think that that time and investment is going to be well worth it because you are building and recruiting a fan base that will be extremely loyal if you're listening to the local culture and really tailoring the experience to them. And to do that, you have to partner with the local organizers to really understand how to reach them in the way that serves their community best, which is a model that we've taken even within Esport Canada, where we've partnered with provincial organizations so that we're not ever going to dictate what esports and grassroots and school esports, what that looks like in Saskatchewan. They're gonna tell us how we can support them in doing and serving their community should look like.
And I think that that is really how you build a model that is sustainable and it gives people a reason to be invested in the franchises, in the different titles, in the pro leagues, because it's an extension of what they're doing. And that's really what makes video games so incredibly powerful because it's something that you do, it's something you take on. And um, I come from a music background, I have a degree in music, and something that I've always found really fascinating about the study of ludomusicology, which is video game music, and what separates it from film scores is that with film scores, that music is something you're experiencing and seeing played out, but when it's in a video game, your, it's your song, it's your music. Like, you are the one that's going through that and having that experience, and it's the same thing with those grassroots communities, where they're not passively consuming it, they're actively participating in it, and so that's what gives you that buy-in. And I, I, I've often told folks I have this dream in Seattle, because I'm from Washington, in Seattle, we have Blue Friday, and Blue Friday during the NFL season, everyone wears blue for the Seahawks, right? The dream that I have is that we also will soon have uh, the mom that walks down the street wearing an Evil Genius jersey, or wearing a FaZe Clan jersey, or wearing a Cloud9 or an NRG jersey. The model that I think you know, for uh, other parts of the industry is they need to understand that the grassroots is where, is where you come from. You know, professionals and collegiate, they come from the grassroots. And so how do we, um, if we can start to think about that, and as Melissa mentioned, you know, investing into that grassroots, similar to the NFL, you know, the NFL didn't start investing at the pro league, they started investing at the peewee leagues, they started investing at the YMCA, and that eventually got it to where the parents were on board and it became more socialized that American football, this is what it looks like. And Canadian hockey, this is what it looks like. And you see people wearing jerseys, people that don't play, but they understand what, what it's all about. One of the biggest things, um, and, and you've heard people say that to you today as well, you just need to go and experience it. Because it's really hard to understand gaming overall until you go and watch it. And then when you watch it, you're like, okay, I get it. I understand now. And so what I would love to see the model for the rest of the industry is you know, focus on those grassroots because the grassroots actually support you in the pipeline overall. And, and it's an important, it's important space. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Matt Traub for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.